Hey, Alu, how are you? I'm good. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Can you hear me? Yeah, that's good. So I'm just testing it out. <laughs> nice, nice. <laughs> how are you doing? You good? Yes, I'm good. Just finished eating breakfast a little while ago. How are you? <laughs> I've just had my lunch. Nice. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the time well, difference is crazy. I know. I'm just trying to, it's very confusing because there's so many people asking for podcasts for me to be interviewed and all over the world, Australia, America, flipping everywhere. And it's like, oh my God, I've got to get these times right. <laughs> You're a very popular woman. That's why. Good. About time. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, better late than never. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, so before we begin, I just want to say thank you so much for accepting my invitation to come on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you very much for inviting me, Desmond. You're welcome. You're welcome. So to get you started, your first question is talk about your life story from when you were a child all the way up to now. Wow. Really? Really? <laughs> oh, my God. How long have you got? <laughs> I got all the time in the world. I'm off today. Okay. All right. So, um, yeah, my childhood, I um, I was born in England. I was born in a, a, a wonderful county called Yorkshire. My parents moved from Nigeria. So, I'm of Nigerian descent, Afro-Caribbean, as they say in England. So, I was born in, in Yorkshire. Uh, 1964 when I was born and for me it was a uh, just a really I was one of those people who one of those kids who daydreamed a lot I daydreamed a lot uh, um, just in my, my, my kind of early life and I think this is what led to kind of like I don't know stepping out of life really um Latchkey kids and my parents went to work. They worked very, very hard. So I went to school from a very young age on my own, hung out with my friends, came home, did my homework and just watched television or just um, daydreamed. So I was very much kind of a loner. Um, I had my own kind of reality. And, and that was me. That was fine. It was OK. Um, I still had my friends. And I think things changed when we went from... I would say um, a high immigrant area. There was a lot of Afro-Caribbeans had moved to a particular area of Leeds. So it was a very high ethnic area. My parents wanted me to have a, a better education. Both my parents were university educated. They came to this country, the UK, and they couldn't use their skills because of, because of racism, because of colour. Uh, so they ended up working in a factory and working in an office. My mum was an accountant, a trained accountant. My dad is a biochemist, trained biochemist. So they worked very, very hard to get out of that area into an area where I would have a better education, where teachers um, expected good results. In the place that we lived in, the expectation for immigrants was low maybe work in a factory, maybe work as a, in the hospitals as janitors. or So the expectations for, for black kids like myself was low. So my parents worked really hard to, to move into a, I would say, a very white middle-class area so that I could achieve what I needed to achieve um, academically. 
and my parents eventually they got into doing what they they uh their professions so my dad became a biochemist a lecturer my mom uh, worked for the council as an accountant so all was very very good but for me it was a, a huge kind of culture shock and sort of growing up in a white middle class area was very difficult very challenging I was the only black kid in the school so from the very beginning I was kind of picked on bullied and with the personality that I had it was kind of like I retreated more I retreated more into my own reality reading more books kind of staying out of trouble trying to be invisible which is very difficult when you're <laughs> five foot ten taller than everybody else <laughs> and, uh, and stood out and eventually I kind of lost I think I just lost my temper one particular day um, to the biggest bully in school was a, 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 a white kid called Matthew Greenwood I remember him distinctly and yeah he came out with the n-word and I just went for him. So I went from being bullied to being a bit of a bully. And that, again, was not a comfortable place to be in. Um, so I spent a lot of my time kind of in a survival mode, um, kind of walking out of the house every morning in a state of high alert, like, you know, who's going to pick on me? What's going to happen? Rather than concentrating on being a kid and enjoying myself and, and, and doing the things that all my other friends did. I was always very guarded didn't trust people, didn't really reach out to, to, to many. I had a few friends, but again, they were kind of what we'd call, you know, at the time, kind of the, the, the misfits, the ones that are not in the, you know, in the, the gang. So we kind of hung out, but it was just an uncomfortable place to be. Got easier when I went into high school. So we had primary, middle and high. So I went into high school and there it was very mixed, the, um, the, the, the kids black asian chinese everybody it was it was great but i think my personality just lent to towards just feeling like the odd person out all the time i kind of felt like i was a square peg in a round hole didn't feel like i fitted in anywhere at this time so i kind of lended towards daydreaming and then i discovered alcohol and I discovered when I was working, when I was studying, um, I'd have a, a little Saturday job and I spent my money on alcohol and, you know, like a small bottle of rum or something. And it was my reward. It became alcohol took on a different slant to most people. For me, it was something I needed right from the very start. Even if it was small amounts, it was like my best friend. It was like a, then I could feel comfortable and relaxed and feel more extroverted. So I kind of came out of my introverted self and alcohol helped me. That was the vehicle and it made me feel comfortable. And it was my little reward at the end of a, a day of studying, a day of school, a day of whatever I was doing. It was there. Now, as kind of time went on, I sort of did my A-levels and I think you call it 12th grade. Then I went on to university. And again, I just felt, again, it was the next step to, whew, I would say, again, I was the only black student. <laughs> <laughs> again, only black student. Um, and I think I probably was one of the first black students doing dentistry. 
um, as a dental student, I was the only only black student. And again, I, I felt like I stood out like a sore thumb. I didn't feel uh, I came from the same background as everybody else. So my kind of self-worth, I didn't know how to work on my self-worth at the time, how to work on me. So external factors really affected me. What somebody might say, uh, somebody might slip out with a, a, a word that was racist and, and forget, oh, oh, sorry, you're here, or um, being invisible again. Uh, we, we're talking about students that came from quite affluent backgrounds. My parents were okay. They, were, they worked hard or comfortable, but I was mixing with that kind of affluent English white people. And I felt very much, again, like a sore thumb. I didn't fit in. And so, again, alcohol just felt like a, an important part of my, my life to get me through um, all the challenges of being a black student and, you know, being able to raise your hand confidently, answer questions. So I had to really kind of fight that. But alcohol did help to a certain extent. And again, I would sort of say if, if it was that alcohol was still like that today, I'd still be drinking. But it didn't. It really turned a corner and it became an absolute need. It became that I had to drink every day to keep my nerves, to keep sane in many ways. And then it turned on me. So going through the next, I would say the next 20, 20 years, it was the battle with alcohol. It was the battle of so many different battles. I was, I was fighting at so many different different areas of my life. And... Being a black student, being a black professional was very, very important. Uh, very important to me and my family. Education was important. You know, whatever, you can't take education away from anybody. Education is power. Um, to be an upstanding citizen was very important. But not to, you're in a, a white society um, you're a black woman in a white man's society, so you have to work twice as hard, 10 times as hard. You know, you have to be this upstanding person. Um, trust nobody. Don't say anything to anybody about your personal life. It was very, very much like that. So I was very much always on guard. I was always having to prove that, you know, as a black woman, I can be successful. And that was a tremendous, tremendous pressure on me. And I couldn't not be myself. And again, there was always this inner turmoil of self-worth, feeling good enough, uh, not feeling good enough. I seesawed between I'm either really good or really bad. And my sense of, I would say my sense of identity was battered on a daily basis. So for me, it was always this, have to be the strong black woman, have to be the strong black woman. I have to outwardly show that I have to try and be that inside but the inside didn't marry match the outside um I felt scared I felt lonely um a lot of the time I was putting on a brave face um trying to have the tough act um and most people have said oh my god if they saw me walking down the street this is tall confident woman you know looks like she could conquer the world and inside I was just you know I was just absolutely a lot of the time, just a bit broken. Just, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what to say to people. Um, but on the outside, I was saying it. So the inside did not marry, marry the um, the outside. 
And in a lot of ways, alcohol helped close that gap until, as I said, it, it started not to work. And that's when it's, I say, <laughs> it was seven rehabs in literally seven years. Uh, fell down seven, stood up eight. And it was the most horrific, awful times of my life where it was completely out of control. I had no idea what I was suffering from. Um, you know, I was in and out of rehabs. My family didn't understand what was going on. Um, thank God they supported me, but they just couldn't understand that, you know, you are, you've been raised well, you've been, you know, why are you drinking? And I couldn't understand why I was drinking, in all honesty. None of my family drank. Uh, so I just took the, the drink gene and and that's what, you know, kept me going. But then it became an addiction and I couldn't function without it. And time and time again, I tried, I fell down, I was in rehab, back up again. And kind of finally, I kind of got it. And I wanted to do this for me. I didn't want to, I didn't want to die, number one. Number two, I wanted to do recovery for me. Not for anybody else, not for my family, not for the profession, for anything like that. I wanted to get well for me. And that's the first time I actually put myself first. I know, um, you know, I did what I did for family. I, I worked hard for family. Now I know I worked hard for myself, but at the time it was, I want to do what's right. You know, make my dad proud, make my mum proud, make everybody proud. And... I wasn't looking after myself, kind of my inner self, but it had to be for everybody else. Whatever they wanted, it was a people-pleasing Oliver me. And so I was kind of way down the list. So my self-esteem wasn't that great. And that's when I started to think, I need to put myself first and I don't want to die. And that's when I came out of the last rehab knowing that uh, this is it. Um, come hell or high water I do everything I possibly can to stay well I got two beautiful sons by that time um, my marriage was in tatters um, I was married to somebody who drank as well which wasn't the best combination and I thought I'm going to get well I'm going to get well number one for me that's the first time I put me first and when I'm well then everything else is well my kids will be great everything's going to be good and that's what I set out to do. My intention was not just to get well, but but really well from top to bottom, from inside out, not just the outside. Yes, I'm great. And, you know, I've conquered alcohol. I'm soul level. I wanted to feel like Ola Bumi. And my name, my name is Bumi, but my long name is Ola Bumi. And I thought I'm going to start calling myself Ola Bumi. That is the full version of me. That is me, my soul level, my mind, body and spirit. That's all about me. We're going to integrate all about me um, once and for all. So I got curious about life. Um, I was very lucky. My profession were, were very, very good. They, they really looked after me. Um, but I took time, a lot of time out to get myself really well. And, you know, what is it? Who is Oliver May? And when you've been drinking for so long, you kind of forget who you are. You forget your values, your beliefs, um, what you like, what you dislike, you know, because alcohol took over all of that. 
So for me, it was getting to know me, which, you know, many times, you know, was quite painful, uh, was quite difficult to, to face fears, things I didn't like about myself, but I got the right support. And I started to reach out because I knew that being vulnerable was very important to show the right people that I needed that help and that support. And I got it. You know, I got it until, you know, I could love myself. You know, they loved me until I could love myself. And I'd never been taught to reach out to anybody, not to trust anybody, uh, not to kind of divulge anything about yourself because I'm a black woman in a, in a white world. And it, it transpired that it didn't work like that, that I did reach out and I got the help that I needed. But then I started getting curious about life and what do I really want? Um, what are my likes and dislikes? I started to find out I never had a hobby. I'd like to have a hobby. I went into the healing modalities and I was very drawn to that. And the reason why I was drawn to that was because my doctor, my physician said, look, you've come out of rehab. Um, I was feeling a bit down at the time and quite rightly so. Um, there was a lot going on in my life. And my GP said to me, my general practitioner, you know, let's put you on. I think you're equivalent of Prozac. And I knew instinctively that that was not the way to go. That again, I would get hooked on something that I can't get off. I'd be dependent on it and I'm back down that slippery slope again. And innately, I knew that was the wrong thing to do. So just chatting to a friend of mine, just by chance, she said, I said, look, I want to do this holistically. I want to, my recovery as holistic as possible. I do not need any chemicals or medication. And I want to do the best I can on this particular route. And my friend suggested I see somebody who is what we call a shaman um, and do sort of natural healing. I'm a scientist, you know, and... I kind of thought, what what is a shaman? I don't know what a shaman is, but I'm going to go. I'm going to keep an open mind, go and see this lovely lady and, and see what she can do. And I, I went to see this lady who's called Anna, a very good friend of mine today. And she did her, her kind of shamanic ritual, whatever you want to call it, a session. And it was the first time I kind of felt that I was going to be okay. And... I didn't know where that came from, but it, my soul was just saying, whatever happens now, you're going to be all right. You're going to get through this. You're going to be OK. And there was this real inner sense of, yeah, this is this. Is, I'm going to be good. I'm going to be good. So I went to her a few more times and I discovered what she kind of did with using crystals and Reiki and, you know, other healing techniques. So I got very curious about Reiki. Um I actually did the courses myself, became a Reiki master, so I could work on myself with Reiki. And then I started working with friends and family, and they enjoyed it. And it gave me a great sense of peace, inner peace and calm. And I just knew that I'd always lived on my nerves, that always lived in this, this feeling of fright and flight and survival. And all these modalities were designed to kind of calm your nervous system down. And I loved it. So I, I, I went on to crystal healing, crystal therapy, 
uh, sound therapies I learned all about and I and I worked with and lots of other things I did NLP so I was just really hungry for finding out about all the things that worked or maybe not worked so I got very curious about life or curious about holistic um, healing and I just absolutely just loved it it helped me enormously I started to feel like I should feel like Oliver me um, and genuinely happier and and healthier uh, and more vibrant and optimistic and not scared of life and scared of walking out of the door and what are people going to say to me or how am I going to react that it was a case of I felt good and that's that was the most important thing everything else seemed to start started to feel more rounded not sharp life wasn't sharp anymore it started to become rounded more peaceful more fluid and what I felt and what I witnessed within myself is the better I felt the more peaceful and more calm I felt the more life felt peaceful and calm the more synchronicities the more good stuff coming out so I just knew that this was all about me so that's how I've gone on for many, many years. And I became um, an addiction counsellor helping people within the profession and other professions, helping them get well with what I learned from myself and my experience. Then I had issues when I was younger also with food. So I had not not in a massive way, but I had problems with bulimia, uh, binge eating. And I kind of reckon the signs and symptoms within uh other people with binge eating so I helped people with disordered eating um food addiction so I became a food addiction counselor because again I just wanted to help people with food addiction and again alcohol and food they're kind of related so someone who <clears throat> maybe a food addict may also have a problem with alcohol so all these things kind of interlinked and I've just really loved my next this 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 journey in my life which is helping people in that capacity and I found it very interesting how the common denominator with everybody that I've coached or spoken to or worked with is they never felt good enough and that's exactly how I felt that's the common phrase I don't feel good enough I'm not good enough I'm not worthy enough I'm not pretty enough, I'm not this enough or that enough and it's like I am not enough and you know today I know I am more than enough, I'm enough but that was the common denominator that I see right through uh, most people who are suffering from addictions is that. So I've got to a point in my life now where yeah I'm, I'm sort of semi-retired from my profession, I am now a food addiction counsellor but I'm also a recovery coach and I've gone into <laughs> the next phase of my life uh, profession which is future life progression which is helping people find their best future self and I think that's very very important for anyone who's in recovery or anyone who's recovery from alcohol or food or grief or burnout anything like that, that we need to find our why, we need to find our purpose in life, but we need to find our big why to help us to, on our recovery journey. And as I said, whether it's, it is 
grief or burnout or any other issues, that we actually need to find a why that's a, a super, super, super compelling why to keep us moving on, whether it's an AA program or a fellowship program or a bereavement counselling, anything like that. We need to find our why. And Future Life Progression, I think, is just amazing because we start to crystallise the essence of our future self, the essence of the future that we want to move towards. And we crystallize that and, and embody it. And I think it's absolutely wonderful. So where am I today? I am happily, um, my two boys at university, love it. They're super, super proud of me. I've just hit my 15th year of sobriety, which was two days ago. Um, it's the happiest I've ever been because I've got to know me. And I've also got to heal the parts of me that I thought I'd never be able to forgive. And and it's a, it's a tough one when you're a mum of two, when you've gone through addiction and you've felt utter guilt and utter despair and how can I ever face people again? How can I ever look at my children? I was very, very fortunate they were very young. They don't remember much of it at all. But I kind of let them down. And to be able to forgive myself was very, very difficult. But today, you know, totally forgiven myself because I've had to work on myself, you know, and move forward and, and develop that new bummy, the new Ola bummy, you know. But you have to discard the, the, the guilt and the shame and the fear, you know, face it and, and clear that so that you can, you know, become this new person. And in order to move forward, you have to kind of let the past go. You have to become this new person. And I worked very, very hard to do that. And that's a continuing journey. And it's just a journey of absolute joy now. I don't walk out the door feeling what's going to happen, you know, feeling in that state of high alert. I don't react like I used to react you know, and, and so that is the biggest gift that, you know, I've given myself. And as a result, I've been able to help, you know, a lot of other people as well. Well, before we move on to the next question, um, I just want to say that I'm very proud of you for overcoming all those obstacles in your life. I know it wasn't easy, but the most yeah. important thing was that you recognize what the issues were and you worked on it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think anybody out there who does have a problem, and it could be any problem at all, it is, I would always say the biggest advice is to start with yourself. It could be an external problem, but usually it mirrors what's going on inside of you. So it's starting to work on, you know, yourself, but that needs support. And that needs a lot of love and a lot of compassion. And that's the biggest thing I never gave myself was the, the love and compassion that I deserved. If I'd have spoken to a friend like I'd spoken to myself, they'd not be a friend anymore. And what I'm saying is I spoke to myself so badly. You know, I criticized myself. I didn't think I was good enough. I would never have spoken to a friend like that. So why would I speak to myself like that? 
And once I kind of got that, I thought, wow, okay, I can turn this around. I can look myself in the mirror and say, I love you, Bummy. I forgive you for so many different things. I'm proud of you. That was important. That's very true. The most important thing I think people forget in this world, you got to know your self-worth. Yeah, 100%. So your next question is, tell me about the three most influential people in your life and how they impacted you. Three most influential people in my life. Right. My father. (laughs) (laughs) My, My father, because he came to this country in the 60s. Um. As I just told you earlier, it, he came, he was a university graduate and he came, he couldn't get a job um, in his profession. And in this country, in the 60s, it was no blacks, no Irish, no dogs, no Jews. So it was very much a case of um, really kind of doing kind of more menial jobs until, you know, things changed and he was able to, you know, practice his profession um, become a lecturer at the university. Now he's always been very, very. He's very disciplined and very strict. And I kind of, at the time, I didn't like it. <laughs> <laughs> but when I look back, and I'd seen so many other of my friends who kind of slipped by the wayside. Um, their parents weren't as, as 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 disciplined. You know, my dad taught me to be as proud as I possibly could be, that education was very important. But I saw my dad um, set up a foundation for really black kids who dropped out of education. And he saw the need for that. And in his own life, he set up a company called Tech North, um, which is based in my hometown, my home city. And it's for black kids getting a second bite of the cherry. The ones that are dropped out, they could go and do IT, they could do electronics um, and, and pass a certificate and, and go on and, and, and get, get work and get a job. And to this day, my dad's now 86 years of age. Um, we can be, like the other day, we were in a taxi, we booked a taxi and we're coming back from somewhere. My dad needed to do something on his phone. So I went with my dad and... Um, got in a taxi and the taxi driver said are you James Abwaba and he goes yeah I was going who's this guy and he goes I remember you and my dad was going okay and he said were you Tech North and he said yes I was Tech North I was the founder of Tech North I'm the founder of Tech North and he said thank you so much he said my son went through uh, an awful lot of trouble he dropped out of school we got him into Tech North and he's now got his own business. And he thanks you all the time. He thanks Tech North for, for the, the, the second bite of the cherry. And I know for a fact that, you know, there's been so many others that have stopped my dad and say thank you so much. And I'm so proud of him because my dad gave hundreds and hundreds of kids, men and women, a second bite of the cherry so that they could live the life that they deserve. So I'm very, very proud of my dad. And he got an MBE from the Queen for that. 
and I'm very proud of him, um, you know, for doing that. And he's always been a man of integrity and and I still look up to him to this day. So, yeah, that's, that's my dad. <laughs> um, Oprah. <laughs> nice. Oprah. I, again, every single time I, I've just actually got one of her books today, just um, about healing the past. I, I again, Oprah is my Oprah. Oprah is my inspiration as well. She's just from somebody who's gone through so much trial and tribulation, like you wouldn't believe, to become this powerful woman who, you know, is not because of the money, but because of what she stood for and been able to set up all these production companies and businesses and 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 a brand that is, speaks at soul level, you know, being able to to do this from a dream, a vision, and holding that vision and holding that faith, no matter what the situation is, you know, she's made it through. And I absolutely think she's amazing. I adore her. So that's Oprah and Nelson Mandela. Nice. What can you, what can we say? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> this guy's like to me is like a saint that is just amazing. This quiet, humble guy who spent how many twenty odd years in prison still held that vision no matter what. Twenty six years in prison and came out wanting peace. You know, wanting apartheid to end. But again, it's all these people have held this belief and held this vision and keep holding it and keep holding it, you know, until the right time, until that divine timing, until he could be released, until he could, you know, actualize his dream. And in such a peaceful, beautiful way, and such a beautiful man. And for me, it was all about his peace and it was all about vision. And again, I, I just absolutely idolise the man. He's did an awful lot for the world. I totally agree. Um, I like those three people that you mentioned, especially your pops. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's adorable now. I mean, he's got a little bit of dementia, but he's still got that that fighting spirit and... You know, he had a vision for, for something that's helped many, many people. You know, when that dream involves helping others, it works. When that vision is not just about yourself, but about helping humanity in, in one way or another, that vision comes true. I couldn't agree more with you. You got to bring the vision to reality. You do. So... Your next topic is, what's one thing your business slash venture did that you didn't expect? What did it do? Um, you mean to myself, me personally, or in general? In, in general, that you didn't expect to happen. Like, oh, what is this? <laughs> <laughs> um, what did it do? It got me on television. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um within within a, 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 a in sport um i was picked up by 
I think at the time, because I was talking about mental health um, and addiction, and I think it was out of a blog and out of a, a talk that I did on a small little talk, and it got picked up by um, Sky News, uh, Sky Sports, and it was about mental health addiction within football. And if I'd like to come and talk about that, um, how mental health, how we can, you know, help sports people, sportsmen and women and athletes with their mental health and addiction within sport. So I got a slot on uh, uh, an evening slot at Sky Sports News for 40 minutes debating about mental health in sports. And I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> um, so yeah that got me on television um, again it's a common denominator's mental health um, and that can affect anybody there's no discrimination is there even within athletes top successful athletes so that really that was really cool that was really really cool that I was invited on to talk about it yeah Nice. That would say that's a blessing from God. He's like, wait, yeah. I got something for you special. You ready? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and a nice surprise. Yeah. God works in mysterious ways. <laughs> Very true. You be and you ask him for one thing, but he's like, wait, I got something better for you on the exactly. side. Hold on. Absolutely. One hundred percent. Hundred percent. So that was good. <laughs> and I ex and I've had so many other synchronicities like that. It's like, whoa. Okay, I kind of, yeah, I'm vibing the right way here. Um, something's going right. And it is just, yeah, believing in what you need to do, you know, do and just handing it over. <laughs> <laughs> Hand like it here. over and, you know, it, God arranges it in mysterious ways. So, yeah. He's like, I, I am the soundtrack to your life. Like, I know what you need. When you need it, why you need it. Exactly. Yeah. No, I like that. <laughs> I like that take on it. So it's, it's been a lovely journey. Yeah. It's been a lovely journey. And more to come. Absolutely. You're still young. You got time. I know. <laughs> well, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I feel it. <laughs> That's the most important thing. You yeah, feel I it. I feel it. It is, it's like a second, I've been given a second chance and that's how I see it. I mean, I wake up every morning and I just go, I'm just so grateful. I'm so grateful that I've been given the second chance. It, this could have gone, it could have gone so badly wrong. Um, so badly wrong. And I've been given the second chance and that second chance is to help other people. It really is. And, you know, thank you so much. Yeah, I feel like that's God's way. Like, I'm not done with you yet, my child. Hold on. There's a lot to do. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. I know when I was, um, it's funny you sort of say that. Um, when I was at my worst, I, I think I would have, there was one particular point where I drank so much and I, I passed out and I had this dream. And I, I still remember it to this. This went really, really in the worst the end, I would say the end times, it was so bad. And I remember having a dream, and I remember the dream, and I don't know if it was a dream, I don't know if it's just like soul level. Um, I was meeting all my ancestors, the people that had passed, my grandparents, I met them, they were chatting away. It was almost like they were in a village in Nigeria, and they were chatting away, they were all happy and everything. 
And I kind of walked up to everybody and they were all chatting with each other. And I walked up, I went, hi, to everyone. And they kind of looked at me and everybody just stopped, stopped talking, looked at me and they went, you need to go back. I went, oh, what do you mean I need to go back? Because it felt so good. No, you need to go back. You're going back. And I woke up. (laughs) (laughs) So for me, that was literally, I was that far, not far from that death's door because I was in a really, really bad way. And they said, it's not your, it's almost like it's not your time yet. Nope. Nope. Mm -mm. He's like, you're not, you're not ready to see the white light. Hold on. Nope. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Get back down here. Yeah. <laughs> it's not time for us to meet yet. Hold on, I ain't opened the gates for you yet. Hold on. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's how they looked at me. It's like, uh-uh, back down. <laughs> <laughs> you have more work to do. Yeah. I your purpose. Now fulfill your purpose. Yeah. And that, that's what I believe today. Yeah. And we all have a purpose. Right. All of us have a purpose. So your next question is, what do you think the world will look like in 50 years? In 50 years from now. Yep. 50 years from now, I think the world will... I think right now we're going through... It's almost like a scab that's been picked. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it's almost like the perfect storm right now and everything's kicking off everywhere in the world, whether it's war, whether it's the economic crisis, everything. It's almost like everything's coming up to be looked at. Do you know what I mean? To be reviewed. All the things that have been kept buried, all the issues or the political issues or the racial issues, everything that we've kept kind of like, it's been humming under the surface, bubbling under the surface, and we've peeked at it a little bit, and we've peeked at it a little bit, and people have talked about it, and we've dealt with it, and and it's gone back under the surface, like Black Lives Matter, and all of these things. And all of a sudden, everything in the last few years has just come up big time. All the issues, the injustice, has all just come out now to be looked at. And it's like the scales are falling off people's eyes, what we thought was real isn't real isn't isn't this is the reality this is the stark reality of what is going on i do believe in 50 years time i think we're going to see a better kinder more compassionate um people planet i think we're going through a turbulent time at the moment and i think it's it needs to be to be viewed and to be detoxed <laughs> And to be put right. So I see the world a little bit more peaceful than it is right now. Let's pray, right? (laughs) Yeah, let's pray. Yeah, but I think it's going to get worse before it gets better. As I often say, you got to go through the good to get to the bad or reverse. This is where I think we're at at the moment. I think we've, we've picked this scab. And I think the planet and God have gone right. You all need to see all of it for what it is. And we need to fight for injustice. And people are not, you know, especially in England now, we're not turning around and putting up with things that are obviously wrong. You know, we're, you know, we're now turning around and fighting for, for what is right. But there's an awful lot of stuff that is wrong. And again, 
let's just pray that um, the you know things are put right bit by bit. Yeah, you do have some valid points, and I feel like over time things will calm down and there'll be more love in this world. There's not enough love going on in this world. Yeah, absolutely, and that's all there is, really. That's all there is. You know, and it's 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 just opening our eyes and realizing that, you know, the human being next to you is exactly the same as you are, you know, that you can't dismiss people who are in poverty. You know, you can't you can't you know, it's just so unjust at the moment, it's it's ridiculous. It's just so ridiculously unjust that people kind of go, This can't go on anymore. It just can't. So you know, as I said, I pray that, you know, this starts to kind of, you know, play out in a positive way. I wish they would just get rid of, like, the class system, like the poor, the middle, and the higher class. I wish they would just get rid of it. No, totally. I mean, I hear so many. I mean, the homeless, for instance, the homeless, there's so much more homeless now right. in, in, you know, in England. I've just come back from Italy in Rome, and they were saying how they clear away the homeless in the Vatican. I mean, <laughs> what? You know, they're, they're moving them away so that people can't see them, you know. And this is the Vatican. This is the most religious part of the, of the whole world, the Vatican. And, you know, the Vatican are telling the police to shoo the homeless off the streets. I mean, that doesn't make sense. No. You know, that doesn't make sense. And then you know that, you know, you see somebody who is in poverty and you walking past them, you know, don't turn a blind eye to them. If you can't give them money, just bless them or whatever. You know, that person could have been somebody, somebody, somebody's brother, somebody's sister, someone's mother, somebody, you know, humanize people. Just because they're in a certain situation or a certain predicament, don't dehumanize someone. You know, that's that's the biggest thing. Yeah, and I feel like that happens too often these days. All the time. Not all the time. So at this point in my pod, I always turn it over to my guests and you can ask me any question that you want. <laughs> uh -oh. Okay, Desmond. So how did you get into, I want to say, what is your background and how did you get into, why did you become a podcaster? Huh. The question I'm always asked. <laughs> <laughs> so it started out as just like a hobby at first. Like I was experimenting, like I'll interview some of my like friends to see how the vibe would be, if I would like it or not. So I started liking it. I also listened to a variety of different podcasts, whether it has to do with finance, business, sports, um, just anything in general, because I like to learn about things I don't know about, soak as much information as I can. And then also when I started interviewing people from around the world, just like you, because you're in the UK. You're all yeah. in the UK, the whole other part of the planet. <laughs> I Brilliant. like Yeah, so I like to get to know people from all different walks of life, let hear about people's stories, what they're bad to how they got to their good, their careers, their goals, hopes, dreams, the whole thing. So oh, cool. it all ties up together. Brilliant. Brilliant. And so who who is your number one person that you admire? <sighs> My mom. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, 
I'm the youngest of five. So she raised all five of us on her own. Oh, bless her. Yeah, man. So death my mom. Oh, hi, mom. If you're listening. Hey, I'll tell her. I bet you're so proud of Desmond. <laughs> she is. She she tells me often. Oh, bless her. Thank you. Blessings. Yeah, that's been good. Absolutely. So before we end this, um, do you want to leave any like last words for the listeners? Do you have anything new coming up on the horizons? And do you want to share your social media handles as well? Yeah. Um, uh, what's coming up? I've got a book coming out um, called Invitation. And that's going to be due out in the next couple of weeks. And that will be on my website. But it's about really finding your best self and how you can do that. And I think we all have a best self that we can work towards. Um, so it's called Invitation. And I believe that once you get your own vibe right, things start working out quite nicely. Um, and it's not about other people or situations, it's about getting you right, getting your inner workings right so that things start to, to sink. So that's called um, Invitation. That's going to be out in a couple of weeks' time. And you can find me on www.yourfuturelife.co.uk. So that's what's coming out in, in, in the, the next few weeks. And also, if anybody does want a session on finding the best future life through future life progression, this is a very dynamic pioneering tool. There's probably thousands of us in the world which are practicing this right now. And it's super, super powerful. Businessmen, uh, billionaires, politicians are using future life progression to find their best future careers, the best future venture, their ideal home, um, dream career, all sorts. Uh, future life progression is amazing. So anybody who wants to contact me, contact me through www.yourfuturelife.co.uk. Well, there you have it. Y'all better follow her immediately. <laughs> Thanks, Desmond. <laughs> You're welcome. I really enjoyed it. <laughs> Me too. So I just want to say before we end this, thank you, Alu, for accepting my invitation to come on the pod. I really appreciate it. Invitation accepted, and I really enjoyed myself. Thank you so much. You're welcome. So enjoy the rest of your day because it's still morning for me. So <laughs> I will do. <laughs> enjoy. Thank you. Take care. Yeah. God bless. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.